we're going hot. All right, let's we're, do it. We're, we're recording. Give Lucy a little scratch up behind the ear here. Shall we? Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Shiftless. Actually, indoors, next <laughs> to a roaring fire. It's freaking cold out there, man. It's a little chilly. We're actually going to have uh, a warm day today. It's still not going to be jacket off weather, but mm. it's getting above freezing, <laughs> right? Is that it's, still the plan? It's going to be our first day above freezing in uh, what four or five days. Yeah. yeah. So. But there was plenty of frozen creeks and hillsides and stuff on my way here. Solid ice. Yeah. Hadn't seen that in a super long time. Yeah. But hey, weather's always a factor. I slept outside this weekend. It was it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's right. You did. You had your uh, your your boys weekend, yeah, bla- right? Blasting cast. Blasting cast. Yeah. It was uh, it was a good stuff. How good much bla- how much blasting was there? It was a lot of blasting. How much casting was there? Uh, I went fly fishing two days. You know, had a lot of fun. Didn't catch any fish. Didn't kill any ducks. Okay. And still had a blast. But it got cold. Cold, cold, cold. (laughs) So you did the hammock? Yes. Um, I was fortunate enough, uh, one of our friends, Williams, loaned me uh, some really clutch gear. Um, I had a fully enclosed tarp, so it has doors on the end. So it's it's basically like uh, from the ridge line it goes down like an A and then the both of the ends close over. Okay. And then I had a uh, zero degree bag, a twenty degree under quilt, and a twenty degree top quilt. So I slept pretty comfortable until uh, Saturday night into Sunday when the temperatures really dropped. Um, we woke up and it was there where we were in Grayford. It was single digit, and the wind chill was negative like ten or something. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it, it was hard to get out of the hammock. I, I <laughs> yeah, I'll admit it. I'm I'm too much of a weakling for that crap. I would have pulled the plug on it that that cold. Yeah. Well, I had a plan um, that didn't work. Uh, I had borrowed one of the guys that was there. We had uh gone hunting the morning before and we were talking on the way to the duck blind and he goes well i have an extra heater and i go oh shit what are we doing <laughs> so he had a little he had a little buddy heater yeah that runs off of a propane little mini, mini propane tank and he set me up with that and an extra propane tank well so i went to sleep with it on in the the tarp you know just on the ground it's all sure 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 i was set up over gravel and uh, I woke up sometime in the middle of the night, and it had ran out of propane. Well, I had another tank, but I couldn't reach it from my hammock, and it, I was so cold. It was one of these bar- yeah, yeah. Bar- bargaining yeah. kind of things. Like, well, what, what's the, I, what's the lesser of two evils here? Yeah, if I get up, <laughs> if I get up, I'm going to freeze my ass off and take forever to recover, or I can just stay here and be pretty warm. Yeah, you know? yeah. So warm enough anyway. Yeah. So I didn't get out of my hammock, and. That's completely understandable. It was a little cold. I'll be honest with you, though. I will. T- I will take the cold over the over the heat for camping, for sleeping outdoors. 
I can I can handle the cold, but when it's like ninety eight degrees outside mm-hmm. and you can't get comfortable, uh, yeah, I can't yeah. I can't do that at all. Yeah, you know, there's only so many clothes you can take off. But, you, <laughs> but typically, there's more clothes to put on. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And especially, you know, we talk about quality gear and stuff. You know, if you buy the right stuff, it pays off in dividends. I had a base layer, top and bottom, uh, smart wool, and insulated bibs, uh, another smart wool layer, and a, a wool sweatshirt as well, or hoodie. And then... Is that the fire pop? Yeah. Okay. Puffer jacket and uh, like a almost like a ski jacket, you know, beanies, gloves, sure, you know, sure, all the business, insulated boots. So, and we had huge fires going. Our group has two two burn pits that are octagonal. Maybe maybe they're six sided. Either way, they're probably like twelve to fourteen inches deep. And mm-hmm. by the end of the weekend, we just had just full. I have, of- I have a picture on the last night on Saturday night where it's just probably 10 inches deep of just coals. Right. And that thing, those things were putting off some heat, but it got so cold. Like if you got three feet from the fire, you're like, Oh shit, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it lulls you into a false sense of security yeah. almost. Yeah. Did we suffer any power losses with this recent cold snap? Uh, none that I'm aware of. We, we didn't at our house. I know that. Yeah. And I don't recall seeing anybody posting up, woe is me, uh, social media stories about being out in the cold. That would have been rough. I mean, for when we lost power during Snowmageddon and all that. Lucky, get out of his face. Lucky. When uh, we lost power during Snowmageddon, at least it wasn't as cold as what we just experienced. Yeah, it was, it was pretty close, wasn't it? I can't remember how cold it was. I think it got down to like 18. I was, think, I was thinking lower, but maybe not. Definitely got lower in the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one, we were fortunate. I guess between Alliance Airport and the medical center a little south of us, I guess we... We're on one of the higher priority grids. You're in the Goldilocks zone. So, I mean, we lost power, but we were, I know it was less than 24 hours. I think it was around 12 hours we were without power. Oh, we had we had no power for, what, 72 hours? Yeah. And, uh, it was, I mean, I was fine with it, <laughs> legitimately. Um, we had the, I had plenty of firewood. That fireplace didn't stop for like seven days. Yeah. I cooked probably nine or ten meals out of the fireplace i mean i cooked a full breakfast and pancakes and put cooked a pot of beans and sure i mean my, sourdough and, my my big concern is the broken pipes thing yeah 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 that's for sure. uh, i mean i I, I can get by in the cold. There's enough yeah. blankets around. There's enough sure. down jackets and booties and whatever else. Yeah, I can I can get by being cold for a few days. But I didn't. I don't want to deal with burst pipes everywhere and all no. that kind of crap. No. That's I totally for, agree. That's for certain. Hey, that's we're not talking bikes, are we? No. Well, well, I was about to bring it full circle. I actually rode um, during that that whole snowmageddon thing. I think I rode four times that week. Okay. Rode, uh, we rode from here, rode um, horse trail and all that stuff, all the way up to what, Highland Village and turned around and came back. And uh, that was that was pretty brutal. Um, 
and I think that was one of the colder days. And then we rode Knob Hills. Um, I think we got a full lap at Knob Hills. Can't remember. Um, but and then rode North Shore. So maybe I only rode three times. So do you have real deal winter riding gear, or are you faking it with Ziploc bags and newspapers, or what's your deal? Um, I have shoe covers. I don't have any winter shoes uh, to speak of. I've I've always wanted to buy some winter shoes, but I would feel like I would, it would go either two ways. I would either use them so infrequently that they wouldn't justify the cost because winter shoes are not cheap, especially like if you look at 45 North and um, I think Lake makes some good. Lake, uh, I had had some lakes that just got thrown out a few months ago. uh, They were fantastic. Or I would buy some and it would be like, oh, I can ride more in the cold. But I, I don't know if that would be the case. That's why I've been apprehensive about purchasing cold weather shoes. Yeah, my, my take. So I picked up those lakes secondhand, and they were the true winter boots. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of, you know, I've been riding booties and shoe covers for, for years, and those boots are a, a, a game changer. Yeah. And, and I take the cold pretty well to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, Being from Florida and all. Uh, it's just, it's just being a fat boy, I think. The boots themselves are a game changer. The one thing I've never been able to get dialed in are the gloves. I'm either it's either too thin and my fingers are cold, mm. or they're too warm and I'm you know I'm pooling sweat in the gloves, which yeah. I absolutely hate. I haven't found that ideal middle ground, but that's also one I think it that's completely dependent on the temperatures and the wind and, and the person. And well, and yeah. and the ride itself. Yeah, for sure. How hard you're pushing. Yeah, I think I think the gloves are really tough to dial in. Yeah, when it gets below, I'd say forty degrees. I always carry multiple gloves. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I've, I've, I've I'll carry three sets of gloves. Yeah, it's not and for rotate me to carry three sets yeah. of gloves. Yeah. I'll start out with my my warmest gloves, um, and then when it gets too warm for those, or my hands get too warm for those, I'll shift into the next one. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I always carry them in like what, what would you call it de-escalating order or I don't know what the right term for that is but I always carry like warm medium and then like just maybe regular gloves you know my uh, my, my my fallback my panic gloves were always the neoprene ones like mm-hmm. I may start out with those when it's really cold but 15 minutes down the road you're starting to sweat yeah uh, but at least with the neoprene ones, if you if you do sweat in them, mm-hmm. they're neoprene, so you're just like creating warm water in yeah. there, as yeah. opposed as opposed to leaching out through the the gloves themselves. And I just got some gloves from Gabe, um, maybe in November or December, and they're forty five North gloves, and they were on sale, and they are awesome. I wore them uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before. I wore them for the near entirety of our ride. We rode like 40-something, 43 miles, I think. And I wore them 40 miles of that, and they were beautiful. But it was also windy. Right. I think wind block is a big part of keeping your hands warm. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And it's difficult to, to hit that beautiful zone of wind block and breathability yes <laughs> they seem to be counterintuitive almost yeah yeah that that's that's that goldilocks thing yeah uh right there i think the uh your canadia folks and those up uh, 
up north when when the when pogies make sense they make sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i really i really believe that that is the way to go i forgot whose bike i was on that had pogies and i tried them out i had never you know never put my hands in any before and i was like well these make absolute sense you know um because you have more because the thing is uh, i guess the thought process and maybe i'm just pointing out the obvious but the thought process between behind pogies is once you get a glove that's thick enough to keep your hand warm you have no control over your bar and your brake Mm -hmm, and your mm -hmm, shifter and all mm -hmm. that and so if you insulate the that area and just stick your hand in this essentially glove that's formed around your bar it makes a lot more sense sure so i had never like put two and two together i'd always seen pogies you know obviously they don't they don't run thick around here and when i finally got to try some i was like oh oh this makes perfect sense you know thankfully we don't have to lean on them Mm -hmm. And, I, and I'm fine with that. But back to the shoe thing, uh, my other thought has been when it's, you know, as cold as it's been, and if I'm going to ride, I'm probably just going to put on flat pedals and wear boots because we're not going anywhere in a hurry anyways. Sure. And sometimes clipless pedals get so cold that they actually freeze up and they're hard to get in and out of. You step on snow and snow packs in around your cleat. I mean, it just becomes an issue anyways. So here was my takeaway when I got those boots. Mm -hmm. Which boots are we talking about? My lake boots. Okay, yeah, yeah. My lakes. I ended up, basically whenever it was cool out, Mm -hmm. I could put those boots on and my feet would never be overheated, I guess is the best way to explain Mm it. Mm -hmm. And if it ended up getting really cold, they were never frosty. So I ended up basically whenever it was under 50 degrees i'd put those boots on yeah and i'd be comfortable and i didn't have to worry about it i didn't have to think about it so i ended up using those winter boots more than i expected to Uh, so i've heard stories too and i've heard people talk about like arrowhead you know the real cold races like a diderod and um that kind of stuff where people um and maybe it's a thing of the past but i've always heard that that the cleat on your boot or shoe or whatever is actually acts like a heat sink and and lets cold into your foot i have heard that too but i don't know i haven't experienced that myself but yeah, yeah I, I haven't ridden in the that cold of a condition that uh yeah i've never ridden when it was when it was that cold or what cold and wet i guess i'll do cold Same. i'll do wet i i don't do cold and wet right there with you Right, right there with you. In fact, that's, uh, I think, uh, the one who taught me that mantra was Mr. Thornton and I have totally agreed with it. I can do wet, but I, and I can do cold, but I can't do the two together. So it's, I don't, I don't even pretend I don't even make excuses. I'm a puss. I'm not doing that. It's not happening. Like I'm looking at Lake boots right now and whatever weather they're preparing for with those boots, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that. Those aren't the ones. Those aren't the ones I, I was I was riding with. I can't even remember what month. And like I said, that's. I mean, and they're four hundred and sixty nine dollars. That's that's a lot for me. Yeah, understandable. Let's understandable. See see what their temperature rating is. Negative five to thirty two degrees. What else is going on in the bike world? The email from from Rich Waldschmidt. Yeah talking about blm yeah i did not realize there was any blm land do you have that email handy by chance i can pull it up 
why why don't you read that? He and said I, it was eleven thousand something acres, and I have more. And if anybody's listening to this and has more detail on what Rich talks about, I'm interested and fascinated. But I, I don't want to work from memory on it. So let's let's see what Mr. Walchman had to say. Well, he starts by saying kudos for starting the year strong with another excellent episode. Featuring... I particularly like the cameo appearance by DJ Caleb, providing real-time fact-checking. He didn't speak often, but when he did, his it was value-add. I agree wholeheartedly. I'd no love to doubt. have him on more often. And then he says, I should know better than thinking I could... I can tell you something you don't already know about land use in Texas. I think he's addressing you directly. Uh, but today I learned that the Crossbar Special Management Area in Potter County, northwest of Amarillo, is 11,883 acres of BLM land along the Canadian River. The only BLL, I can't say that, BLM land in the state. Although landlocked, the Amarillo boys have built Lucy have built a mountain bike trail on the land. Maybe Chef Brad can take his E mountain bike up there and give us a trail report. I wonder what the wonder what that trail's like. I have no idea. That's the that's the first I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Same. So I, I'm in. I am very intrigued by this because that mm-hmm. whole Canadian River corridor mm-hmm. through the Panhandle is something that absolutely fascinates me. From what aspect? Uh, from all my exploring and route building and mm-hmm. everything. We, uh, we've we crisscrossed over it several times. We've got a couple of routes that utilize And from the historical aspect mm-hmm. of things, uh, there's a lot of Indian battles and things like that that mm-hmm. are through that region. Some of the great, the great buffalo hunts. Yeah. and slaughters yeah uh happened through there uh so it's a fascinating area but that canadian river corridor butterfield doesn't run through there no no, no. it's south it's south of there well right? south of there yeah. yeah butterfield went to el paso yeah that's what i thought it's most of it's inaccessible mm-hmm. there's a couple of highways that cross over it mm-hmm. sort of thing but there's just this huge swath of land all the way across the panhandle it's like you can't get there and it looks absolutely amazing when you look at the topo on it yeah. and things like that yeah uh so i'm definitely fascinated and interested and in if there's some blm the uh the it's landlocked uh line i definitely want some yeah i don't understand what he means by that uh basically landlocked is when it's a parcel of land that's surrounded by other parcels of land so it's basically inaccessible yeah there's no road Excuse to it me. yeah um, may, maybe the the Canadian riverbed itself is the accessible part, hmm. and that's all. And I'm not up to speed on all that. I don't know if the Canadian River. Well, it can't be that landlocked if somebody went and cut a trail there, a mountain bike trail. Well, that's why that's why it's interesting. So, mm-hmm. what, uh, I I will have to reach out to Mr. Walshmit or if somebody who's listening has the details. Mm-hmm. How is landlocked defined in this particular? instance yeah it might it might mean there's no way to drive there is it might be what he means hmm. maybe the only way you can get there is going along the flood plain uh next to the river on your bicycle to get there from a highway or something hmm. like that i don't know yeah i don't know uh but it's and, and then it's blm land when i say there's a huge swath i mean it's 
hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of acres that... Well, he just said that this piece is 11,883 right. uh, acres. Yeah, I'm talking that whole Canadian River region. Yeah. Uh, north of Vega and all that. And it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating when I look at the maps. And it's like, there's no roads that go to any of it. So, like, how do you get there? Uh, definitely definitely interested in that. Yeah. Was Did, did he have more in that email? Or was there... Maybe I'm thinking of another one he maybe maybe he sent he He said just a nit. Yeah, okay, but, yeah. But is it accurate to call call those bicycle brands owned by Walmart in quotes, owned by Walmart? He said, Aren't they owned by a couple of the Walmart heirs outside of the Walmart corporate governance? I guess that is nitpicking, but it's I, it's still in their umbrella. I I, I, I will call it nitpicking, Rich, but I get where you I, I get where you're coming from. I think it's pretty just common lexicon in the cycling community just to refer to all of that stuff around Bentonville and that investment group as the Walmart stuff, right? I mean, that people know what you're talking about when you say that. Yeah. I mean, it's all in one holding, I would imagine. And it's, I mean, it's part of the Walton family. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I guess uh, I, I don't think anyone would disagree that Walmart and Walton are synonymous. Right. Um, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm sure there's some serious breakdown of it, but it, it's all the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Well, and then, right, people know what you mean by it. Yeah. Is, is really is is what I'm getting at, and and I don't I and I don't consider it a a negative by by any stretch of the imagination. It's less of a negative now than it's ever been in our community. It's it's turned the perception of the Walton family around. Would be my guess. It wasn't that long ago. I still don't like shopping at Walmart. Exactly. Yeah. You're not anti-Walton family. No. Would be my guess. No. I'm very conflicted. That's what I'll tell you. I get that. And I, I, I think that might be part of why they are going that direction with Well, I could, I could be just talking out of my ass on this, but the what I've heard is in order for, and I don't know how many children there are in that Walton family, I want to say there's three or four, um, but they were set up to have gigantic inheritance in order for them to get their trust or inheritance or whatever it was, they had to do humanitarian projects. Um, and that's why they opened the museums and built all the trail and did all those projects in Bentonville. It was motivated by uh, meeting the requirements of receiving their inheritance, okay. which I mean, they could have done anything, uh, obviously, uh, and I'm glad that they went the direction they did, you know, arts and, and outdoor living and stuff. And more importantly, I don't think they understood the reach of what they were doing at the time. And essentially, they've created almost a cookie cutter scenario for other places to take and say, OK, well, this model works here. Let's do something like that here, you know. And there you go. And that's I, I definitely wanted to kind of gravitate towards that. There is no doubt that what they've done in Bentonville is starting to have spillover effect in other communities oh, yeah. throughout the country. But the closer you get to that northwest Arkansas, the the more people, other communities are pulling from that and going, "Hey, that it might be something mm -hmm. we want to do." A couple points, you know, along those lines. I think I think it's fair to say, 
I mean, I've said it a gazillion times, and I think anytime you talk to anybody with a cycling background that has some sort of cycling-oriented business, nobody does anything in the cycling industry with the intent of getting rich off of it. It's it's always passion-based. Yeah. And I'm convinced that's the same with that Walton family and that investment fund and thing. There's no way they went down that avenue unless they were passionate about cycling to begin with. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't know what their um, involvement in cycling is as far as, you know, racing or, you know, serious rider or what. But they, they definitely did their homework and put the right people in the right spots to, to do the right things. And, you know, it hasn't been perfect from the get go. You know, I know they've had their growing pains and stuff, but to, as an outside observer, they've done a tremendous job. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of bureaucrat, bureaucratic, bureaucratic bullshit and, you know, political stuff, but, um, it looks like they've put together a really good cohesive kind of system you know, everything. You can ride everywhere in Bentonville. Right. You know, right. you can ride from trail to trail. You can stay on path if you want to. You can hit big stuff. You can, I mean, you can do just about anything, you know. Um, and they've created, A, they've created jobs. They've created tourism. They've, you know, given uh, businesses reason to be there. They've relocated headquarters. I mean, there's, there's been a wow. lot. What's how many it? how many people do we personally know that have relocated there? Dozen ish, uh, at least. Yeah, at least. And I don't I don't want this to sound like I'm I'm kissing the Waltons' ass by any stretch of the imagination. Such an ass kisser. I know it's 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 what I do. They're not going to sponsor us. Exactly. <laughs> There's not a chance in hell. <laughs> the spillover effect of what they do is one of the few positives for the industry right now that has long-term potential for growth. I mean, we've talked about it so much in, in these episodes. The The cycling industry itself is still in a decline. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's folks that are going to make an argument that the Walton family is contributing to that somehow or another. But those are, others are going to say, well, what they're doing... It's a hard stretched argument, but I'm I'm just saying there's gonna be there's always gonna be poo pooers. There's sure. al- there's always gonna be naysayers. Whether it's justified or not, I don't know. Yeah. One of the big takeaways I had from our conversation with Justin last week, uh, something I'm kind of been dwelling on since that one is you know we were talking about a couple generations deep of people that don't ride bicycles anymore Mm -hmm. i think after we had that conversation i saw some industry reports that reflected the declines of the cycling industry but their projections for 2024 and the projections for 2024 were a little bit of growth over 2023 but when you break it down they were showing that projection all in kids' bikes, which made no sense to me whatsoever. How is 2024 all of a sudden going to have a huge growth in kids' bikes? I thought that was an unrealistic goal. I think the stuff that Bentonville's doing that's spilling over to McKinney and Frisco and Tulsa Mm -hmm. and other communities throughout. Are they building a gravity tower in Frisco? Did I hear that right? That was part of the plan originally that got... Nixed, nixed, but yeah. they're still they're still doing stuff, mm. and obviously Denton's very supportive of what you guys are doing. Yeah, that's what's going to grow the cycling industry. 
the safe outlets for people to ride their bikes near their home and their work right. ultimately is, is what it boils down to. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's going to be super important for current cyclists to help encourage new cyclists to do those things. Uh, you know, if the, if those communities open up a bunch of new trail, if they open up a new mountain bike skills park, point people you know to that hey pull that bike you have out of the garage and go do it check it out start pedaling your bike you know not when it's 20 degrees not when it's 20 degrees (laughs) but the more people that do act actively do it it's not going to stick for 100 percent of them but that's the only way it's it's going to grow when these communities are investing in the infrastructure let's let's encourage others to take advantage of it and show these communities the positive aspects I'm sorry. It's just it's it's something that that I've been dwelling on the past several months. Is there's got to be ways to get the cycling industry going in in a future direction? I think I think we I think we've kind of stalled out, like we've talked about a bunch before on that M plus one model. I don't think that's the future of cycling. Well, I think uh, what we need to do now, and what what I've touched on before, is is cultivate new riders, encourage yep. new riders. Yep. You know, let's quit shaming newbies. You know. It's, you know, when they're your friend, it's fun to jack with people, you know. Um, but when you see somebody on the bike, you, my first thought nowadays um, is they're doing better than the person that's not on a bike, you know. They're doing better than the person that's sitting on the couch. You know, anybody on a bike is a good good rider yeah. for, the, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, um, I, I don't mean to disagree with you, but I think part of building new trails and, and paths, more importantly, I think paths are kind of the gateway for new riders, like absolute new riders or riders that have had a, a tremendously long lapse in, in their riding career, if you will. Um, because if, if I buy a house and I'm not a bike rider and all of a sudden there's a path right next to my house, I'm way more inclined to buy a bike, especially if there's sure. people riding said path. Sure. So I think the more path we have and the more trails we have, basically the more environment we create where it's safe to ride bikes, the more bikes are going to go up, you know. Um, I thought that's what I just said, but maybe I said it in a roundabout way. Okay. Yeah. I, think, I think we're saying exactly the same thing. I would, I would hope so, yeah. My thought process is, you know, when... Most kids, when they're, call it eight, ten years old, something in that range, have a bicycle. And then as you get older, it's like that number just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And by the time you get to 30 years old, you know, like Caleb said on our podcast. Sure. When he was talking about as soon as he got his driver's license, he quit riding a bike, you know. Because, and I don't think it's the same with this generation at at all um, for various number of reasons. But... You know, when when we were kids, uh, when you got a bike, that was your your freedom. You know, now you could go wherever you wanted for the most part. And then when you got your driver's license, it was just an expansion of that freedom, and it made you leave behind the other tool, which was your bike. Sure. And I don't think that's the case now because, you know, the world's a different place. I'll be honest with you. I don't think most eight-year-olds have a bicycle these days. And that's what I was saying. I don't think it's the same nowadays. Yeah. Um, I guess I was speaking for my own generation, you know, like when, when I was eight or 10, everybody I knew had a bike. Everybody had, yes. Everybody had a bike when we were in that eight to 12 years old. And then we went through, 
you know, scooters and then there was Esprit scooters and those, you know, motorized scooters and stuff. And people kind of dwindled away from bikes. And then there was people that stayed with bikes, you know. But it's just like as you got older, those numbers just whittled down, you know. And then when you get to driver's license age, it's almost like nobody rides a bike. Sure. You know, unless sure. they're a BMX rider and they're racing and stuff like that. And there wasn't really a mountain bike contingent when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. Mountain bikes came out when I was about, well, maybe about 15. So I think I had my first mountain bike when I was 16. I, I don't know what the answer is to getting more people on bikes. I just, I think that we are a little bit behind the times as far as developing infrastructure, bike lanes, and uh, a bike-friendly community. That's one of the reasons that I moved here to Argyle is because I was already riding in this area and being on the roads at the time and seeing cyclists everywhere and right. just saying, right. oh, these are people that are adept to to bike riders they're they're looking for bike riders because they're here all the time but now that i live in argyle it's almost uh like a what's the word um it's two separate communities because uh, i'm you know privy to a lot of the argyle uh facebook feeds and stuff like that and there's people that are just just in my own community, they're absolutely hateful and like vindictive towards cyclists. Oh, that's everywhere. Yeah, I know. That's a that's a big that's a big deal. But it just saddened me to see people go. Well, I I hope they get hit and die. You know, stuff sure, like that. And sure. You're like, you're like, do you really mean that? Do you really understand the the gravity of what you're saying? That's somebody's. You know, father, mother, whatever. Yeah, we're, you know? Now we're, we're 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 getting into that realm of the polarization. Yeah, that everything's built around these days for whatever reasons. Yeah, and the anti-cyclist mentality. It's just something for is, people to hate. It's very it's very polarized for whatever reasons. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to start going into the whys and the wherefores from my perspective on that. Yeah. What I will say is the generation that we grew up in that turned on to adult cycling for whatever reasons in their 30s to 40s or whatever reason mm -hmm. yes it was that audience that we rode our bikes to death when we were kids mm -hmm. and for whatever mm -hmm. reasons we rediscovered our, our joy for cycling as as adults mm -hmm. we're the last generation of that there, there's not, there's not, a, there's not another generation of where cycling is going to be nostalgic, right? It, yeah. it, it, it's creating new riders as adults, yeah. it, that, and that's a, a totally different dynamic. Yeah, and those new riders as adults are not going to have any interest at all in riding on the roads. I hope not. None. So, the traditional. Let's do a, a group ride from the bike shop. No, they're not going to be attracted to that. They're going to get turned on to riding their bikes on the pathways. Right. And hopefully some of those will go, well, that's kind of fun, but I'm a little bored with it. I, I know Dorba or Denton or Fwimba or whatever has a mountain bike trail in my right. neighborhood. Right. Well, I've got this bike with knobby tires. Let me go take it for a spin on that, that mountain bike trail and see what that's like. Oh, hey. Well, I kind of bounced off some trees and stuff and skinned my knees, but 
I want to try that again and get better. I think the combination of pathways and single track that's convenient to each person's home or workplace, I think those are the things that are going to drive any potential cycling growth. Yeah. And what takes – so anything that adds more pathways or more single track in a suburban or urban environment I think is – is a positive. It, it, it's what's needed. Yeah. It's got to be encouraged. And that's what I was getting at. The spillover from Bentonville is having that positive effect in these communities that before would never have even considered uh, a mountain bike skills park. How, yeah. You know, do you think McKinney would have put together all that stuff without Bentonville doing its stuff first? I guarantee you they w- wouldn't have. Uh, Paris with their pump track. Yeah. I think there was a presentation in Flower Mound uh last week at their city council they have a new park they're opening up and there was a presentation for a mountain bike skills park there that evidently flower man was somewhat receptive to yeah i Uh, mean and and all of that is just good stuff yes like um on a very similar thought process but um different area um i was as i was driving to grayford this week i drove through Mineral Wells, which is a tiny little town. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what their population is. Um, And Weatherford. And I saw two two separate skate parks in these tiny little towns. And it just warms my heart because when I was a kid, I skated. And there was nowhere to skate. There wasn't... I mean, we had to drive to Dallas to come to a skate park. There was a shit skate park in Longview that was just ramps outside of a go-kart track, you know. Um, And... uh, I mean, there just wasn't any skate parks. We didn't have a skate park in Shreveport, which was pretty decent sized yep. town, uh, city. And um, it's just awesome to me to see skate parks everywhere you drive now. I mean, there's one in Keller. There's one. I mean, you name a community, they basically R- have Roanoke's a skate park. Roanoke's got one. Yeah. It's every yeah. time I go by it, if you yeah. know, unless school's in, it's it's hopping. And that's similar to what I think cycling is as far as paths go. Um, and that's why I brought that up, but cause when we were kids, there weren't, yeah. there was sidewalks, but there weren't yeah. bike paths. I guess you know? my, my point is we as active cyclists, I think we have to actively encourage new people to consider riding those paths that are out there mm-hmm. back doors. Now mm-hmm. my, my concern is the communities and the municipalities will build this infrastructure, but people may not even think. Oh, I've got this place I can because I, I don't have a bike in my garage, so right. I got to go through the issue of going to Walmart or Academy Sports or Velo or Mad yep. Duck or whatever and buying a bike to begin with. Now is the best time to buy a it's bike. It's a fantastic time <laughs> to buy a bike. Shitty uh, time to buy a house. Great time to buy a bike. <laughs> if you know folks that are getting new cycling infrastructure very close to them, if you have friends that are looking for ways to uh, tackle their new year's resolutions i'm not saying go out there and convince everybody they need to ride bikes but anytime uh run the subject by somebody if they go huh i don't know anything about it well help them help them learn yeah help them learn don't don't force it down people's throat but if uh, if anybody ever comes up to you and says you ride bikes right can you can you help me i'm thinking about it yeah. Do everything you can to help them, and don't don't point them to the fifteen thousand dollar S Works or whatever. Nothing against Specialized. Specialized, if you want to sponsor us, <laughs> we'll consider it for the right price. It'd have to be a pretty good price, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think 
think I could align with with uh, specialized. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh... but I, I do think that you know a lot of people, and and I hate to say this, but I I think um, with the way the economy and stuff is going, I think a lot of I think we're going to gain more riders from an entry level position just because it's a relatively and you're going to chuckle when I say this, but a relatively cheap hobby to get into. Oh no, I, I think yeah. I think it I think it is a very cheap hobby initially. <laughs> I, I okay, well I guess cheap is relative. Yeah, and I mean you scoff at me when I when I you can get a really nice bike for seven or eight hundred dollars. Yeah, you really can. Yeah, and then you need helmet and clothes and shoes and, and I bottles. Don't, I, don't, and, yeah. I don't think that's a ridiculous investment. Especially when you consider the health benefits. Right. Mental and physical. I mean, I mean, what's uh, what's the reality of it? I mean, people haven't thought twice about you know spending two thousand dollars and forty five dollars a month for a Peloton. Yeah. You know, compared to stuff like that, it's not a it's not a ridiculous amount. And I'm not knocking Peloton either. And realistically, people that are on a Peloton, maybe that's the that maybe that's the right target audience. To hey, you've yeah. built up your fitness. Why don't you Why don't you learn how to really have fun on a bicycle? Yeah. Come tag along. Yeah. Why don't you make some memories instead of just hating being on a bike? And but I mean, a, you know, a Peloton's a fantastic way to get in shape to make those memories. No yeah. ifs, ands, or buts about it. There. But I mean, just like any hobby, like fishing's cheap to get into. You can buy a cane pole for ten bucks and a box of worms. Uh, but the high end of that is having a bass boat and sure. fifteen, you sure. know, five hundred dollar rods. And I, I, I think I think we've been notoriously bad, and I'm guilty of it too. I, I, I don't dispute that. Of encouraging the higher end expenditures on the front end for people yeah don't, don't get me wrong i've i mean i've always been a cheap bastard myself and i've always don't started say. on the cheap end with the understanding that that helps me spend more wisely when i do make the bigger investment i do i agree totally um with one caveat um like i saw justin as an outlier um the fact that he was indeed riding a walmart bike um and he pursued it further Sometimes I feel like having too cheap of a bike to get started. I don't. I don't dis. Yeah. I, I agree completely. We're on exactly yeah. the same page there. Yeah. And I think that's. I think that's where we, as experienced cyclists, can be beneficial to the newer cyclists. Yeah. No, you don't want to start out on that next bike. Yeah. Something that's heavy. Something that's going to tear up immediately. Right. No, no handling. When I have people come to me and say, "Hey, I want to get into cycling," uh, and that happened a lot during COVID, uh, but I'm, I've always told them, "Check your local bike shop, see if they have any used bikes." Yeah, I, I always encourage people to buy used bikes. And then uh, Craigslist is the other, or not Craigslist. I'm so I'm dating myself. Facebook Marketplace. Marketplace. Um, and then. Um, because it's hard to steer people towards like PB and J and stuff like that right. if they're not oh, a cyclist. That, that's that's like the worst place to yeah. point them, quite frankly. Well, I mean, or Dorba Classifieds or stuff like that. No, that that's like a cyclist sales group, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Facebook marketplaces. That, 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 that's that's gonna that's gonna scare people away. Yeah. So Facebook marketplace is generally where I steer people steer people towards, and I always say like, what's your budget? You know, what are you looking for? Because that to me, like. 
if you're gonna if you say your budget's seven fifty because you said right. seven hundred dollars buys you a great bike, you know if if your budget a good bike yeah a good bike if your budget's seven fifty, you go to a bike shop and you buy a bike for seven fifty, you're gonna get something that you're just gonna make you want more, in you know six months if you get serious about it. But the problem is what I've always explained to people is if you buy that seven hundred and fifty dollar bike, not that I'm discouraging anybody from doing that. This is just my take on it. If you buy that $750 bike and six months from that, then you want to upgrade that bike has depreciated. You know, it's going to be worth 500, 450. Um, so you have two options. You can take a hit on it or you can keep it as your loaner for other people that want to try it out. Whereas if you buy that $750 bike off of, uh, Facebook Marketplace, you can ride it for six months, and odds are you can probably sell it for $700 when you're done with it. You know, it's already depreciated. Somebody's already taken the hit on it. I get, no, I, I, get, I get that completely. Yeah, that's, that's what I usually try to explain to people that are trying to get into cycling. I get, I get that completely, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one that says probably most people that are new to cycling just aren't going to have the knowledge base to make the right decisions around those used bikes. That's why I always and, and offer to, to help vet. Yeah, them. no, yeah. I, I, I agree. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's a, that's a critical piece of it. And we're back to, we have to help grow the cycling community yeah. is ultimately what it boils down to. And that's, I mean, not that I'm a philanthropist by any means, but that's part of my effort is a, I like to help build trail. And I, I like to be an advocate for cycling. Um, and I like to help new riders, you know, whether it's seeing somebody broke down on the side of the trail, stopping and offering assistance, or seeing people on the path having problems with their bike and helping them, or helping new cyclists acquire a bike that's going to fit them or work for them, you know, or, you know, whatever. Going and helping out at the shop, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I try to help grow the cycling industry in uh in small ways if you will you know cumulative small ways so encourage encourage don't discourage yeah let's 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 throw our bike snobbery to the wayside and and i don't involuntarily yell raise your seat anymore (laughs) so that was a big step for me you know (laughs) no that's why i'm laughing (laughs) it's like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the hardest one for me. That initial knowledge base. Uh, well, that's part of the problem with buying a bike from like Walmart is you go, you buy it, you you pull it off the shelf, you take it to the checkout, you yeah. pay for it. Yeah. Nobody says, uh, nobody checks the tire pressure, nobody checks the shifting or any of that. No, so, I, I, mean, I, I, I get all that. I, you know, trust me, trust me, I get all that. Again, we're 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 back to square one. Where I mean, it's it's tremendously beneficial for newer riders to to visit the local shop mm-hmm. i still think probably the vast majority of people that might be interested in cycling to begin with as a new rider i think they get intimidated by going to bike shops potentially um it is like a like a club almost it, it's yeah it's intimidating it's you know? it's yeah it's it's a it's it's, it's a small circle mm-hmm. it really it really is so uh, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about it again since since our conversation with Justin last week, and 
Yes, I am a huge proponent of the local bike shop. I think that's yeah. the right, right way to go. But I also recognize that the need to grow cycling, I I, I may be willing to bend that maybe uh, the proper mail-order bike with the right education around it. And I think the right education, that's the hard part. How do you make that happen? I, I think that might be the right first bike for a lot of people. Go ahead and get that $500 to $700 bike that you're not intimidated and find your passion. And then your next level yeah. is maybe go to the bike shop and get you know, and start to get more familiar with the community and things. like. I think the important thing is just to get people pedaling bikes to begin with. Yeah. And I don't think the walmart bike is the right i still don't think the walmart bike is the right first i say that i have not looked at walmart bikes on the shelf in some time maybe i i, I avoid walmart like understood academy sports same thing dick yeah. sporting goods same thing i Our, did look at bikes at academy one of the last times i was there we talked about it did we it was it was astounding to me okay uh, I mean, R- REI is that next level up. I think maybe. For sure. I think I think REI m- might be a good place for people that might be intimidated by a bike shop mm-hmm. to to check out. Um, the I definitely encourage anyone. I, I can't I can't imagine a, a potential new cyclist to be listening to this podcast. But if you are, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think we're speaking to a, a already tapped. But market. If, but if you do happen to be, if you're exploring, uh, and you send made, us an email, send us an email, shiftlesslive at gmail Damn, good. Yeah, send us an email. We'll help you. Walk. I, I will personally help you walk through the process if you're looking to get your first bike as an adult. I will I, I will help you in every every way I possibly can. Um, and you know what? Maybe maybe we will do a dedicated to the new cyclists episode as a basic what, informational base. Here's where you start from. Here's the shit you don't need. <laughs> just just get out there and ride a bike. Here's ten things you need to know yeah. as a brand new rider. And once you know these ten things. Here's a realistic next step. Welcome to the community. Maybe we'll put together an episode like that, and we can just kind of post links to that episode out there in general places. And not expecting those people to be full-time listeners, but maybe a, maybe just a little piece of knowledge that yeah. we can share somewhere down the road. I'll think about that one. So let's talk about 2024. Yes, sir. I did get uh, a little piece of information uh, that rule of three is now offering a 200 mile option. Okay. I thought that was interesting. How long was their longest option before? A hundred. Okay. Yeah. So they've, they've doubled it essentially. Okay. Um, and they're still offering a three man team or solo option. Um, and they're going to limit it to a hundred spots. Um, I thought that was, that's pretty cool. I see, I think I see a lot of events going that direction. Um, like, you know, much like you're putting together, and I know it's a different animal, but 200-mile FKT routes. Um, but you see DK, you know, has the, the XL, the 350, not DK, I'm sorry, Unbound, has the, the 350 option. I think they've offered that for about four years now, though. Um, and they still offer down to a – they may have a 50-mile option. Think, I think they do. Yeah. So you can – feasibly do 50 100 200 
or 350. Although 350, you have to get accepted. You have to think you have to qualify or I don't, I don't know what, what the whole process is. And it's a lottery on top of everything. But I think uh, a lot of events are, are starting to understand that that niche of people that want to go out and ride for a hundred plus miles is uh, a growing niche. I mean, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, rule of three fills all hundred spots of that. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I'm curious to see. I just thought it was a, a, a cool little little thing. And I, I think it's kind of indicative of what's going on, maybe on a small scale. But I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, the, the ultra long stuff, I thought that had been fairly well established for several, several years now uh, myself. Um, I mean, it, anything can grow, but any, any, anything can, can decline mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I think very prophetic. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty well-established market, I guess. It doesn't mean everybody's wanting to do it, but it does, and it doesn't mean that every one that throws something out like that's going to be successful at it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think it's, um, well, like a rule of three, I don't know how many entrants they had last year. I mean, they sold out in like five minutes, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, but I don't know how, what that was limited to. You know, I think events like that, um, and I don't know if they're throwing a hundred spots on top of what they capped at last year, or if they're taking a hundred spots out of the overall and just allocating them to a 200 mile option. That's part of my curiosity as well. But that being said, like your all or nothing event, like if you offered a 200 mile option, I don't think we could get a hundred entrants to do that in the DFW area. How many people? Yeah, came? but rule of three is drawn nationwide. I know that's what I'm saying. So that's I guess that's what I'm getting. At. I think there's a there's a huge difference between the national level events mm -hmm. and the regional and local level events. 100. Uh, percent Once uh, a a true national level event establishes itself as a national level event. And how did they do that? How how did how does walk me through that? Just I, and I know you don't know the absolute specifics, but rule of three didn't exist four years ago. Correct. So, or, yeah, what, ish, 19, 19 was their first year, wasn't it? Okay. Was it? 18 or 19, I thought. I don't know. But well, okay, re regardless. Uh, I, I mean, A, I can't speak to the specifics of how you create a national level event outside of marketing and hype. And I don't mean that in, the, I don't mean that in a bad way. That's what it, you have to have a marketing plan aimed at creating a national level event. Yeah, I get that. But I mean, w what I'm more asking is how does, how does an event like rule of three, I mean, obviously venue and location is, is a portion of it, right? I mean, we have to have to acknowledge that. Do we? Well, yeah. Cause tell me something that doesn't fit. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, take, uh, I mean, take, take, the classic DK Dirty Konza. Mm -hmm. Realistically, there's better dirt roads to be had in a gazillion other places in the United States. There are better dirt roads to be had. That's and fair. It's and I'm not knocking the Flint Hills region by any stretch of the imagination. It's the story they developed over time that created the interest in that event at that scale at that level. So you don't have to have the ideal 
perfect event. Well, hell, Leadville's a good example itself. The Leadville ride itself, there's nothing special about that ride outside of the fact that it's it's Leadville. True. So there are a lot of events out there that aren't the best roads, the best trails, or the best scenery or whatever else that have created their brand their legend their story or whatever it else you know most traditionally the model was you start small and over time you build a reputation and 15 20 years down the road you're an institution i mean that's kind that's kind of how leadville started that's kind of how dk started sort of thing that's how the barkley marathon started the more recent model and it's all fueled by social media is you get the right people to talk about what you're doing and it it creates it creates that demand and i'm not saying that in a negative light whatsoever that's uh, you know that there's an art to that you still have to put on a good show you can't create all this hype send people there and it sucks right it still has to be a good event to get people back the next year sort of thing and i don't know the specifics of how rule of three accomplished what it did along this line so i'm not trying i'm not trying to downplay that at all i'm not going in i'm not saying that's exactly what their model was but there's no doubt i heard about rule of three on a social media hype platform yeah before anybody ever signed up for it they you know they leveraged that very well at least to prime the pump. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. When did Rule of Three Bentonville start? Looks like it says 2021. I'm having a problem finding definitive here. Maybe it was. I'll be I'll be honest with you. The, the that whole 19 to 23 era with the COVID stuff all mixed into it. It's hard for me to remember what the before, during, and after how it was all differentiated. Yeah, it, I was listening to somebody talk about that the other day. It's it's almost it's strange how, as a society, m- most of us go about day to day life nowadays, and we just it's almost like we don't want to even acknowledge that that whole period existed. We're trying to be borderline amnesic about it. You know, I thought that was interesting. I mean, man, it was wasn't a good time. Yeah, it's 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 that simple. Yeah. I really don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. I guess it's possible rule of three was 21. Maybe. I thought I remembered them being pre-COVID, but I, I could very well be misremembering. I mean, along those lines, like SBT, what it's, have you seen the, the stuff they're kind of going through? The I haven't. So you're familiar with the SBT gravel in uh-huh. Steamboat? Right, uh-huh. South Brownie Trail, right? SBT gravel event. It's a national oh, yeah, level. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a national level gravel event. And uh, it's out like of, a three part series, right? No, it's just it's just it's just a single single event, but it's out of Steamboat Springs. Okay. So, it's one it's one of those that um, started with the uh, the big gravel push. Uh, 18, 19, going into 20. I think 19, I think 19 was their first year. And they started, they started out kind of with that model I, I, I was describing there where they, they, I mean, make no mistake, it's Steamboat Springs. It's beautiful gravel roads. There's, sure. Uh, 
but they they came in with the concept of we are going to kick this off as a premier national level event and it was a ton of marketing on the front end it was a ton ton of involvement with industry established industry people regulars uh lots of knowledge a lot more money than something like a spinistry event would would have involved sure. with it so i mean i'm not saying it's millions of dollars that kick started it but it's you know it's 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 more than the available balance on my debit card sort of event yeah. they they kicked it off that way in 19 and they've established themselves and they're like a 3000 person event now but now they're getting starting to get some pushback from the local community the landowners and ranchers in the cuz i think it's like a 3000 it's up to a 3000 person event now cool. it clogs up the roads for the weekend sort of thing and evidently at least according to the landowners, it's right at the peak of harvest season, and so it's problematic. And so that's starting to create some some conflicts with the community and the county there. There's been several stories uh, about it. Basically, the 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 community's not liking it. I know, I know Mid South has had some of those issues. I'm sure, and and I know Unbound Gravel has had some. When when you get to a certain size. It becomes disruptive to the community. Yeah. And that... They're, they're either with you or they're against you. Uh, I don't think... I, I think that's ultimately that's the problem. I don't think it's that black and white. There's people that are with you and there's people that are against you. It's which ones are the loudest. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 always, it's still always that realm of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We've had issues here and there along those lines, not not to that not to that level, and it's never been a a, a huge deal. But there's there's been county commissioners that were, you know that were bent out of shape because we didn't call them specifically and get their blessing, get their get their blessing. But there there was no requirement for that. But they thought, well, you know, that's the way we do things in my precinct. You should have known that. Right. I'm sorry. I did. I didn't know that when I reached out to the county. Nothing was said about that sort of thing. When you read some of the feedback from some of the ranchers and landowners around the SBT gravel, it's obvious that a lot of their points and concerns are just the dramatic trying to make a point. Uh, there's a lot of that. Uh, what we touched on earlier. There's a lot of that anti-cyclist mentality involved with it um i'm very familiar with that from similar types of people it's it's part it's part of what we're up against uh, as a cycling community but definitely as as an events promoter a lot of people say well you know you you should do everything you can to make everybody feel better it's like i i can't make everybody feel better because until i hear from somebody that they have an issue with it i don't even know that that's a person to try to unruffle feathers with sort of thing. It's definitely, it's definitely a, there's a, there's a dance involved, but you know, uh, SBT's going to have, going to have to address it somehow or another. It's, it's become kind of a fairly big story the past month or two. Specifically what? Just the, the friction with the, the town itself? With the, 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 the residents of the county, the, 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 the agricultural industry, it's it's made a it's made a bunch of uh, news stories and videos and and stuff like that. Again, is it really that big a deal? I honestly don't know, 
but it's it's gotten that much attention that they can't ignore it now so it's something that somewhere down you know somewhere before the next one happens they're going to have to address and, and say this is what we're doing yeah and i guess that hasn't showed up on my radar i i was unaware that all that was going on so in general once the events get to a certain size there's other complications that that get involved not everybody just sees it as oh this is a fantastic thing for our community mm -hmm. there's a there, you know there's always two sides to every story it, it could very well be that 80 percent of the population of the county which is in steamboat itself is in love with it because their being their b&b's are making money their restaurants are making money their convenience yeah. stores are making money yeah those people that's 80 percent of the county they're happy but then you got 20 percent of the farmers and the ranchers out there that are going well they're just getting in the way of me moving my combine exactly yeah, yeah. exactly well i mean then the, that's the thing with unbound is and shannon and i were talking about this the other day that that town literally can't support the amount of people that come in for that event now there's literally just not enough places to stay yeah they've been saying that for going on 15 years now you well know, definitely since 11 they started talking like that yeah and uh so let's call it over 10 years yeah uh but every year they keep they find a way but that's not their problem you know that's not whose problem that's not the organizer's problem if you can't sure find is. a place to stay then mm, sure you know. it is yeah the, or the organizer has to make sure that it's the legit the logistics for the participants are viable somehow or another well i understand but i mean from from one aspect you know you could you could put on an event that started out of argyle and you know open up ten thousand spots knowing damn well there's not enough spots for ten thousand people to stay here you know what i mean uh, i mean it's not it's not on you to make sure there's enough accommodations for everybody that's what i'm saying mm. I um, would beg I, I I would beg to differ. Maybe that's just the asshole in me thinking. But but the year that the last year that I went and did Unbound, I want to say it was 2012, um they had the glass blown open going on simultaneously, which is like the premier disc golf uh event in the nation and it happened on the same weekend. And so you had thousands of people and spectators in for that event at the same time as unbound now i, I imagine as unbound, how in the world does that happen what, which part how, how 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 does the the city the town the community because when you do stuff of that magnitude you have to work with the yeah the city the county or all of it yeah um just to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen. Right. I'm that's sure. right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that important because Emporia yeah. is not that small of a town. Mm -mm. Um, I'm, but, I'm shocked that they, that there they, was that much overlap mm -hmm. be, since, I mean, everybody's been saying for years that Unbound utilizes every bit of community resource that there is available and maybe it was 11 that that happened i can't remember it was 11 or 12 one of the years that oh, i was there okay oh, oh okay i'm but sorry i okay so maybe back then okay when it was on the verge of going yeah over okay but i, like, I was about little, to say i'm i'm fairly positive that hasn't happened since then. it had to be 12 because i was at 11 and i i yeah. didn't hear about that um 
but there's, I mean, I don't know how many disc golf courses there are there. There's probably a dozen. And they have multiple tournaments over the course of, I think, five or six sure. days. Sure, sure. You know? um, it's, a, it's a big event. Well, I mean, I mean, just, just just me trying to schedule my hundred to two hundred person events in with Paris. Mm-hmm. That has to be coordinated with other events, and yeah. you know, we have to make sure we have the weekend available and that it fits into other stuff. I mean, that e- even that's got to be the toughest thing for you, and and I struggle with that with my business too, scheduling. You know, because not only do you have to coordinate with the city. Paris, Paris, in this example, you have to make sure that a they don't have, you know, whatever festival Paris has going on at the time, make sure it's not on that weekend, you have to make sure it's not, well, I guess for your benefit, a holiday weekend's not necessarily a bad thing. Not Um, usually, not usually a good thing, but sometimes we, but if it's like a Monday off holiday, not, I mean, obviously not Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that, but you've historically hosted events on Easter. You know, that's kind of our one exception on the holiday thing. So, but, but you also, in addition to making sure that it's a good weekend for Paris and for yourself and for your, your riders, you have to also make sure that there, you're not conflicting with another event that's going to have an equal draw, you know, that that's catering to a similar demographic, you know, like obviously if you're going to do a gravel event, it's not going to, you're not worried about a cross country event necessarily but then again it becomes one of those things like well am i stepping on somebody's toes did i have mine on the calendar first and yeah it's, that's got to be a difficult thing that goes on behind, behind the scenes and we, oh don't have to, we don't have to get into yeah, all that we, we i don't want to we don't we don't want to get into that one but right i have now. a similar thing you know when when i schedule my dinners i have to make sure you know there's been times when i've scheduled a dinner and it's on a holiday weekend i've I've scheduled dinners on like labor day weekend before not even thinking about sure that's just an example it might not have been labor day oh i i i I always screw up and put mother's day weekend yeah (laughs) and then then i'll be like why isn't this dinner filling and then i'm like oh shit so i mean it's been you know we've this is our fifth year doing this and Dare I say I've I've learned a lot and I still have a lot to learn, but those are some of the things that I overlooked in in the earlier years, where I was like, why isn't this dinner filling? And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh well, shit, you know, people are trying to stack vacation on top mm-hmm. of a long weekend, so they're not going to be in town, or they're just not going to commit for something that's on a holiday weekend, you know, that kind of thing. Quite frankly, this time of year is notorious for that sort of thing. Um, in an, a very indirect way that a lot of people may not think about. I mean, obviously, cycling events in most parts of the country aren't a big deal in December and January mm-hmm. and going into February even. Uh, but around here, well, my team's going to the Sugar Bowl or my Cowboys are in the playoffs. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not now. Boy, did they shit the bed on that Ooh. one. <laughs> hey, so, uh, sidebar real quick. Did you see the press conference with Dak Prescott afterwards? Was his lip really quivering, or did I see like an AI overlay kind of thing? I no i i did I did not watch I did not watch that press conference. I watched several stories that quoted from that press conference mm-hmm. and, I, and I didn't hear anything about a quivering look. I saw a video and and it's so hard for especially me. I have a bad eye for this. I understand. But he was like they're asking the question and his lip is literally going 
And I couldn't tell if it was fake or real. Uh, I'll, I'll have, but he's a very emotional person. I'll, anyway. I'll have I'll but, have to check I'll have to check on that. But yeah, that was I could have been fooled completely. That but. was that was that was that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also an example of people may not commit to a weekend something, right? Because well, I can't I can't miss the Cowboys if if they make it to the next round, or I may get tickets or yeah. whatever else. Or I'm not going to Terlingua because the Rangers are <laughs> the in the Rangers World Series. Are in the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I get that, you know, but but the other thing is going back to December and January aren't notoriously good for cycling events. It in my mind, I'm thinking if I'm a a real cyclist, you know, uh, uh, someone that does events year round and I'm hunkered in because of this recent cold spell we're having, I'm, you know, like cabin fever almost. And I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to get out and ride my bike. And so then I start thinking, what events am I going to do? What can I, what's that carrot I can dangle? And so I wonder if, if now's a good time for people to sign up for stuff, you know? I, 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 Again, weather is always a factor. Mm -hmm. So I think in our case, like we have 550 or so signed up for the Chain Ring Massacre so mm -hmm. far. That's freaking awesome. I mean, we'll obviously get more. Yeah. Um, What's your cap for that, by the way? We're probably um, – so basically, I've got less than 50 spots left at mm -hmm. the moment. We'll probably cap it at um, – 700 total is kind of what i'm thinking and who who sets that number you or the city uh i mean do you have do you have to clear a permit and then you say yeah. we're gonna have we're we're not gonna have any more than x number of participants they ba uh basically but with man we could go so deep into this well and, in in this and, in this particular case i can i know what the capabilities of the community are and they tr they know that we've d done it twice a year multiple times a year mm -hmm. or multiple years in a row since i think we've been going out of valley view since 2014 mm -hmm. that sounds right um so we have a pretty good relationship where if i say hey we can take up to a thousand people this time They'll, they'll trust my judgment yeah. on that. We can sideline all this because Caleb but, and I are planning on doing okay. Ask Me Anything mo with mo you. Most communities, it's you You have to go in and say it's not going to be any more than X. Yeah. Uh, or they'll say, if it goes over this, we need to have these additional pieces in place sort uh -huh. of thing. Uh, so with, with Valley, I cap it at 700 because – um that's that's the outer limits of my comfort zone for the I, that's actually beyond my limits mm -hmm. um i don't like getting over 500 people i don't like getting over 300 people quite frankly that's kind of but you don't like to be in a room with more than four people so two 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 oh shit <laughs> including myself <laughs> Did dogs count <laughs> no no yeah all the dogs all the dogs oh shit uh, so speaking of teaser here, we are going to, I don't know if it's going to be the next episode or the episode after, or but very soon we're going to do an Ask Me Anything with Mr. Kevin Lee. And so I would love for you guys to send in any, every question is within bounds. Uh, to shiftlesslive at gmail.com. Yeah, send them, send them there so I can screen them. <laughs> no, there will be no screening. Um, and I mean, 
despite the obvious, like, you know, just tacky questions, uh, nothing's really going to be off limits. Um, we're going to uh, sit down with Kevin and, and just pick his brain. Because I know uh, our listening audience has questions. Caleb and I have questions. You know, to some aspect, we want to know how the sausage is made. You know, we want to know uh, some of your growing pains and some of the stuff you've tried and, you know, failed and some of the stuff that surprised you and, you know, all of those kind of things. And, and honestly, just like what we're barely touching the surface on, you know, not with rule of three necessarily, but with your own events, like how, how does it start? How does it develop? What steps need to be taken? How much exposure is there? You know, what are your your pain points? What are your happy moments? You know, what is your most nervous aspect of, you know, leading up to when can you feel, you know, like, okay, now I can relax, you know, that kind of stuff. That, that's the kind of nuts and bolts Caleb and I want to dig into because as a, a you know, a partip- participant like Justin, for instance, showing up, he's fairly new to the cycling world and he shows up for a spinistry event. A lot of people just show up, get their number plate, line up, do the event, put their shit in their vehicle and drive home. And they never think about the months, year, maybe leading up to that event of everything that goes on behind the scenes in order to make it so seamless where they can just show up, get their number plate, line up, follow orange arrows, get back in their vehicle and drive home. You know, uh, I think you're, you're kind of an unsung hero in that aspect as are most organizers, because it's a, it's, you know, you don't get the accolades for all of the things you get the accolades for the day of event, if that makes sense. You know, I, I think I appreciate everything you're saying there. I think it's going to be much less interesting than you imagine to you. To you. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, shiftlesslive at gmail.com. I will forward all. All. Appropriate. 100%. Like more more emails will get forwarded than percentage of what we talk about likes. (laughs) Yeah. I I will be shocked if there's more than two emails that 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 are re- requesting information along these lines. But yeah, I'll for, I'll forward them all to yeah. to Brad and Caleb. We can screen them accordingly. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm not, I mean I'm not I'm not scared. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I think it'll be much less in interesting than you're expecting. But uh, I'm happy to be proven wrong with that. The the video I watched, I just remembered. Oh, okay. Fan, th- okay. This makes me feel better. This sounds I, like a good outro. What you, what you got? I, I I can't find the video on my YouTube. What, what's the topic though? It was is Trek in trouble in twenty twenty four. Oh, that's okay. So that's fun. Okay, that's kind of in line with one of the talking points I had. There mm-hmm. was a, um, a YouTube video I watched. There's a mystery bike brand out there that they would not name that supposedly has. Almost a billion and a half dollars of inventory just sitting in the warehouses right now. So this video, his channel's called "I Know a Guy Bicycles." I don't okay. know. If, I don't know if you've seen him before. That one doesn't strike me as something I'm familiar. So he's with. a mobile mechanic, bicycle industry guy. He also runs a somewhat retail shop. He likens himself to the retail market, um, but he does a, a mobile shop and a. Uh, 
um, I guess he has a, a, a floor space too. Um, but the title of the video is that's it for Trek bikes question mark or other bicycle brands question mark the state of the cycling industry and local shops. Maybe I do know the, the is this the guy is this the guy with the beard? Yeah. Redheaded, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, I have a hard time watching his content. I yeah. like, I like what he's trying to talk about. Yeah, I don't think he delivers it very well. It's, I yeah. get, fr I get frustrated with and, it. And he's got some strong opinions, and he's also the funniest guy he knows. So, yeah, but, I, I. But he does have quality content. He he has industry interesting content. Yeah, I just wish it was delivered in a better way. Now I yeah. say that. I guarantee you there are people listening to this podcast. Yeah, you're one to talk, Kevin. You sound like shit on this podcast. I get that. So I'm not knocking the guy per se. Hey, you're getting better, buddy. We're only on, only on episode 45. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to jinx this, but we're getting damn close to a year into this thing. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. But um, I, I actually, I, do, I think I did try to start to watch that one. Mm -hmm. And I only made it like 30 seconds into it. I was like, I can't watch him this time. Uh, but yeah, this, I did. I didn't finish it either because Paula came in here and goes, what are we watching? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my supposition, the one, the, the video I watched was from some guys in England mm -hmm. and they, they were throwing out the hypothetical. I suppose Trek could be the brand. I, again, I didn't go deep into his, so I don't know what he was, you know, I, he might've just been putting Trek up there as click, clickbait. Yeah. Knowing there's so many Trek riders, so more people are likely to watch the video with Trek. That's what I was going to say. I, I think it might have been just a, a grab. Yeah, I, I, I think the reality is, at least on these guys in England that we're talking about, uh, a billion and a half dollar uh, inventory and warehouse, that's got to be giant. I don't think anyone else is that big. I'd uh, say Specialized is that big. Giants, giant. No, Giant's bigger than Specialized. Would you, you say, say Giant is giant? Giant is giant. Yeah. By, by very large leaps and bounds. Why is Giant bigger than Specialized? Because to me, and, and obviously it's just a perception thing, but... Um, and don't don't forget, it's international. It's not just the United States. That's true, yeah. And I mean, basically, Giant makes everybody else's bikes. So... Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, Giant's the big guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Giant's the 8,000-pound gorilla. Yeah. Uh, so it's got to be them, but I mean, I'm sure all of the major brands are having those same inventory issues. He does make some good points though, about like a, a retail shop that has, uh, a $14,000 bike sitting on the floor and now the new bikes are coming out yeah. and they can't move this bike. He does it a lot more eloquently than I'm doing, obviously, um, well, obviously. despite his <laughs> demeanor. Um, but it's a, it's definitely an interesting watch from what I saw. I, I'm going to finish the video, but I just have way too much stuff on my plate. Yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 the nuts and the bolts are still, the bike industry is up against it right now. Um, and it's not, it's nothing that's going to get fixed overnight mm -mm. and there's stuff that's going to fall to the wayside as, as a result. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, Niner probably doesn't even count as a domino in, in the, no. in the big scheme of things, but there's, there's gonna, there's going to be big names out there that have big problems. Yeah. Uh, whether they survive it or not, who, who knows? Yeah. By any stretch of the imagination, but it's also one of those things. 
it's not necess- it's not necessarily the end of the world either there could be because you know horse and buggy went away for the most part but there's still companies that make a lot of money with equestrian related products mm-hmm. sort of thing so it, especially in Amish country <laughs> but this just popped into my head though and and I know we're we're kind of trying to do a soft wrap on this but um it just occurred to me covid the actual you know covid whole whatever you want to call it wasn't the issue with the cycling industry it was the supply chain breakdown and all the shipping containers and stuff getting stacked up is what really sent that that ripple through the cycling industry wasn't it no the uh, so here no here was the issue here was the issue mm-hmm. the covid bubble mm-hmm. of everybody grabbing bikes I mean, so, yeah, everybody sold out of everything in 21 and 22. Yeah. 2021. 2021. Yeah. And 22. Sales yeah. were up in 22 as mm-hmm. well. Now, they weren't up as much as they could have been because there was supply problems. Mm-hmm. To compensate for that, all the entire industry, everybody mm-hmm. overcommitted and overpurchased for down the road so they would never have that issue again do you think that carrot got dangled like if you want product next week i need you to guarantee x number of sales there to some extent purchases to some extent there was some of that Mm -hmm. and i mean it was the same with the semiconductors in the car industry Mm -hmm. and, and everything like that there were manufacturing plants that said look i've got trek mm hmm that's willing to commit to 10,000 sets of wheels. Mm-hmm. If you want wheels for your boutique brand, mm-hmm. you're going to be behind them or you're going to have to order 11,000. Yeah. And that part, part of that was part of the mix. But a lot of the cycling industry, again, going back to the, the 10 years prior, the cycling industry has been in decline. And the, mm-hmm. and the trend holds true bisecting that bubble. It's the same downward trend overall. But everybody in the industry saw that bubble. It's like, we've been oh, we've been waiting for this to reverse. All these new people are coming into the cycling. They're all going to fall in love with cycling like we did. Everybody's going to be buying their M plus one bike every year going. For, look at all these new people that are what now. Do you, what do you think the stick rate was? You think 10%? 10%. Yeah. Definitely curious. not. Definitely not twenty. Yeah, ten percent. I'm and trying to think of anybody I know of firsthand that picked up cycling during the COVID era that's still riding, and I can't think of a single person offhand. In in our events, I've seen I've seen definitely examples of that. Mm-hmm. Here, so but here's where it get, here's where it goes really sideways on that. Mm-hmm. The People that did stick with it, mm-hmm. they were new to cycling, so they didn't know what was expected of them as cyclists. Mm-hmm. So they went off in a different direction of, oh, I love cycling, mm-hmm. but I'm not going mountain bike racing. I'm not going to race crits. I'm not I'm not going to this rally in Wichita Falls, Texas, because yeah. they didn't know they were supposed to, and those things weren't going on at first. Mm-hmm. So they fell in love with cycling outside of the established 
box of this is what falling in love with cycling looks like in the United States right now. They yeah. found their way, their own way to fall in love with cycling. Yeah. And it doesn't fit the traditional model. So it was only 10% of all these new cyclists. But that 10%, very few of them are doing the traditional go-to-events thing or whatever else. They don't know, oh, I'm supposed to get a new bike every year. Oh, I'm, sp I'm supposed to, oh, they came out with, uh, they came out with 14 speed. Now I need that. Yeah. That, no, they have, they have no yeah. concept of that. And you see them on the Facebook groups and the forums and stuff like that. You'll go, why is this person asking this question? Why does that person have their bar turn? Why is their saddle so low? Why are they asking what's in my camelback? <laughs> and those are actually, that's the new market that came in that we've, and when I say we, the hawk in the cycling industry, we've kind of dismissed that new market. Yeah. Because we didn't recognize that it was different than everything else prior. That, that, that we could talk about this for episodes. So I'm going to sidetrack you here. Uh, did you see a new piece of kit that came across? Uh, I think Josh Dean sent this to me. Um, well, he sends me a lot of stuff. Uh, and don't stop, Josh. Keep sending me stuff. Um, it's a Effectively, it's a trail side bleed kit for hydraulic brakes okay so it's basically two little bitty cnc aluminum chambers that screw right into your reservoir so hypothetically you can bleed your brakes on the side of the trail if you're having issues with your brake and you're on you know say a like a bike packing event or something okay and i was like that's pretty slick i haven't seen any reviews of people actually using it um, I've only seen people reviewing it and that's what the, the video he sent me was. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's probably like more likely to be used in a snake bite kit. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of other things I would have taken up room in my bag oh, before that. A hundred, hundred percent. Um, I can't even now, does it make out. sense? Oh, okay, let's try this a slightly different way. Would it make sense for the spinistry mobile to have something like that in support of a uh, a point-to-point multi-day bikepacking group adventure? Yeah, definitely, it makes sense to have that in in our uh, uh, available stash of stuff for for people. Sure, I, mean, um, I guess I don't know. I, I mean, I. How often have you needed to bleed your brakes mid-ride? I run mechanicals. So okay. I don't, I mean. I, how, many, how, many, how many times have you been around people outside of those that should have bred their, bled their brakes before they even started pedaling that day? I, that's a fair point. And, and that's, that brings me to my follow-up. Okay. The person that would need this wouldn't know how to they're, use they're it. They're not going to know how to use it. Yeah. That's, I guess that's what I'm getting and at. And if they knew how to use it, their brakes, brakes would have already been bled. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a fair point. I, <laughs> and maybe it's a problem or a solution looking for a problem, but I still think it's a cool little piece of tech. Um, and you asked that. I have been – there's one ride in particular where I do remember – uh, bleeding Hoyt's brakes mid-ride. Um, but it was 
we didn't need anything. We just loosened the screw, squeezed the lever just a little bit, just a little bit, just a touch until fluid came out. It'll get you home. Yeah, and it worked. And I think he rode three or four, maybe five more rides before he yeah. did a proper bleed on him. Yeah. So, um, but that in my twenty, well, I'd say ten, fifteen years of riding with hydraulic brakes and hydraulic brake crews. Uh, that's the one time that stands out. There may have been another one, but I, I nothing really hits. So, all right, a, a little more tech talk since mm-hmm. we're rolling here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this uh, this actually goes back to um, our conversation last week a little bit. Uh, you you had brought up to Justin asking about the Dynamo Hub mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, don't know if you're aware, but Jay Peterberry is anti Dynamo Hub these days, and he's he's a proponent of just, just carrying the, the the extra battery packs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I read a recent uh, I want to say rant. It was not a rant, but uh, a recent uh, I don't know what was the right word. I, and um, I bring I bring I bring this up because it's jay's and jay's points right in line with my thought process on it as well yeah I, I read where he was opining on that uh at some point talking about some event that he was going to do where he was not going to use a gen hub and was just going to operate on batteries alone right um i don't i mean i, I guess there's you know multiple thought processes there but i like having a generator hub that being said I ride my Fargo with a generator hub on it 90% of the time and don't use it. Um, with the exception that when we do TNBG and we do night rides, I love it because my light's already on my bike. I don't have to charge anything. I can just flip the switch I, and ride. I, I get all that. You I know. do. My experience as a promoter has been I've seen more issues with, for whatever reasons, Dynamo hub setups from people that had them than uh, any other light issue it's i mean it, it, we hit and J, that's part of what jay talks about he's like you know he 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 can think of multiple times where he's had to fiddle with stuff or it just wasn't working right for whatever reasons i would say that's kind of operator error maybe it okay maybe it is but if it if it takes a special skill set to be able to use the equipment and that's a common issue with that equipment then maybe most of those users should go a different route well, what about e-bikes catching on fire i think that's a bigger issue <laughs> i mean the the light issues yeah i mean granted it's it, it would suck if you had a connectivity issue or something or um, and I don't, I, I don't know what those issues are. When people have had those issues uh, at, at our events, I mean, I mean, there was, is this, is it Son, Sol, Son, Son. I don't know the correct pronunciation, but it's S O N. But they, I mean, they, they had a spell a few years back where I guess they had a bad batch of hubs. So, That's, and and that shit happens. No, you know? I understand. I understand that. But and I had a, um, I can't remember the name of the the hub that I had initially and it was an absolute turd. And even when your light was off, it felt like you were riding on a ratchet, you know? Right. But once I went to a son, it was, it's been seamless for me. Um, my, and I did have an issue with my light at one point, but it was a light issue. I sent it 
back to them and they sent me a brand new one and I've not had an issue since. So yeah, there's growing pains in that in that area, but the convenience for me is I mean, I can run a cash battery, I can charge through my cash battery so I can charge while I'm riding. I can, you know, charge my phone, I can charge my electronics, I can have a cash battery for when I camp at night so I can charge whatever else I need to charge and then I can have light on tap whenever I want it. Those are all convenience factors for me on a long ride, but I don't have near the experience or the time with it that Peter Very does. And maybe if I did, I would change my tune, you know, but I'm beyond the window of what some people have. And I'm well below the window of what he has as sure, far as experience sure. with that stuff. So I, I, I'm interested to understand where he's coming from. So fair point, fair point. Uh, Along those lines, though, yeah. Josh Dean sent me um, this. It's K Light, which is a mm -hmm. major produ producer for a lot of endurance light um, uh, that people are using in, uh, you know, with the in com conjunction with a generator hub. Uh, and I think they're out of uh, Australia. Isn't that cat out of Australia? Not positive. I think he is. Yes, yes, he is. Um, I listened to a podcast with him a long time ago. He's a very, very intelligent, like almost scary intelligent person. Um, but this is a, a K-Lite Micro. is a tiny dynamo-powered USB charger that allows you to ride and race further. Designed to be used standalone or as part of the K-Lite system with the micro, you can charge key electronics on the go. Um, I, I, I literally just opened this. I haven't read it and haven't looked through it, but it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It doesn't tell how much power it has. It actually has, but you can use a USB splitter cable. If you require two USB ports, one for a cube and one for your charge for your charging one for your charging your USB accessories. That always messes me up. Um, but I, I don't know where uh, Peter Berry's coming from uh, with his, you know, assessment, especially when you're in backcountry. I mean, how many batteries are you going to carry? And how many different batteries do you need, you know? But there are some stuff that you just can't charge, like atom shifters, you know? Right. That's just a coin battery. So I don't know. I, I don't know what his long term and I don't know what the window is that he's planning on using that, you know. Well, I mean, he was talking about, you know, when he got hit mm -hmm. and that tour divide, he, he wasn't doing a dynamo hub. He was using battery packs only. Yeah. Uh, you know, how what his rotation system is, what his mm -hmm. recharging yeah. regimen is. Yeah. I I don't I don't think I heard that that level of discussion on it i don't think that particular it was just kind of a matter of fact comment sort of thing they didn't go deep into yeah. it uh sort of thing um so but i and him and we're back to the i mean the practical aspect of it is how many people are actually riding their bikes where they're not going to have an opportunity to recharge some batteries it, does it happen? Sure, it does. It's not very common. Yeah, it's not very common. Um, but I'm, I'm 
I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying I'm not anti Dynamo Hub by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not I'm not inferring that. I'm not anti K Light by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's more expense and complexity than a lot of people that are looking at that option will ever need. Agreed. Yeah, it is it it is a the cost for entry is a little high, you know. Yeah, but, there's there's no there's no economical way to do that, and if it if it's if it is the right tool for the job in a person's circumstance, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people put that at the top of their list of things they need to go bike packing. That eh, that might be a little further down your list. That's true. I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, and Farnsworth says it all the time. Like just find stuff around the house and take it bike packing. Yeah. You know, you don't need, you, you know, know what, if, if, if you get in that situation where you run out of light, that's something you learn for the next trip. Yeah. And go ahead and, uh, you know, pull out the, pull out the hammock and sleep for the night. If you, <laughs> if you can't see where you're going. Yeah. All right. Well, I need to, I need to use your restroom, man. Okay. So I think, I think we should just go ahead and roll out cause we're getting damn close to two hours into this oh, one. Snap. Okay. Absolutely. Don't forget to send your questions for Kevin to shiftlesslive at gmail.com. Go out there, ride your bike, and encourage other people to ride theirs as well. And if they don't have a bike, encourage them and help them find one that works for them. Or loan them one. You there know, you, ooh, you know you have more than one in we've, your garage. We've got, I've got several I could loan out. Yeah.